continuing our study here through Exodus. Real quick, want to mention. Um, real quick, I gotta just want to pray real quick. There's a couple of prayer requests we forgot to mention. Someone just gave me one here that we want to pray over. So if we could just real quick here have a word of prayer. Just Lord, want to pray for uh, Haley Schwieber. Forgot to pray for her battling sickness, a healing on her, and also for Tracy's dad with that broken wrist. And Lord, we also just want to lift up a uh, Ray Williams there, Roy Williams, excuse me. A lot of health issues going on with the strokes and the MRSA and the blood clots. You know all the details there. And we just want to pray your hand of health and healing just to be upon him in all ways. In your name, amen. And I also want to mention, too, I forgot to say about the uh, sign-up sheet for Women of Faith. Uh, Shannon and Carrie Baird got up on Sunday and shared about that. So if you're interested, ladies, in going to the Women of Faith, information back there on the back table as well. Alrighty, Exodus 3, Exodus 4. Continuing our study here through the book of Exodus, as we mentioned in the last couple weeks, Moses' life is divided up into 40-year segments. Forty years he was in Pharaoh's court, and at the age of 40, he was going to free the Egyptians by killing, excuse me, free the Israelites by killing an Egyptian one by one. And we talked about how that shows the flesh, wanting to take over, wanting to do things, and yet it wasn't of the Lord at that moment, at that time. God needed to break Moses. Now, don't raise your hands, but just ask yourself this. Have you ever been broken by the Lord? It's not fun. It's not pleasant. But it's necessary. When we hold on to things we shouldn't hold on to, when we become stale, when we are allowing things into our lives that shouldn't be there, the Lord in His infinite grace and mercy and love needs to break us. Moses had to go through a 40-year process of being broken. 40 years. He was in the wilderness 40 years. If you weren't here Sunday, uh, Jerrica got up and shared a testimony about being in the wilderness and the Lord getting her through it. We still have wilderness times today. Wilderness times are tough. It's just you and the Lord, and the Lord's trying to break you of those things that are causing problems and trying to get you to where you need to be spiritually. I'm just telling you right now, if you're going through a wilderness time, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is out of Job. It says, why do you fight against the Lord? <laughs> Such a simple verse. Why do you fight against the Lord? Let him mold you into what he knows that you're supposed to be. So now we pick up Moses now at 80, where God says, Moses, it's time. I'm going to use you now. It's time to go back and free the Israelites from the Egyptians. And guess what Moses says? I'm too old. It's not the right time. And what you have here in Exodus 3 and Exodus 4, the reason I love these chapters, is Moses just making excuse after excuse after excuse. Boy, Christians are good at excuses. The God of the universe speaks to us through the word and through prayer, and we can come up with an excuse on why not to do it. Isn't that fascinating? God says, James, go, and I can say, Lord, not now. It's busy. So Moses has to be completely broken to this point of saying, do you really want to be used by me? Do you really want to be used by me, Moses? You have to trust me. And so we left off last week in verse 14 of, excuse me, of God saying, I am that I am. And we talked about what that means and represents. So we're going to pick it up here in verse 15 of Genesis, excuse me, Exodus 3. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared to me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. Real quick, remember that repetition of the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. This is God's constant way of reminding them of the covenant promise. This covenant promise that was given to Abraham, passed on to Isaac, passed down to Jacob. Now for 400 years, it looks like it's been forgotten, but it hasn't. Boy, we can learn from that, can't we? 
that the promises of God have no expiration date. They don't. But yet we like to put an expiration date on it. Nope, the promises of God have no expiration date. And it's been hundreds of years, but God says, I'm still moving and working. Verse 17, And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites to a land flowing with milk and honey. Then they will heed your voice and shall come to you you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt. And you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. That's the idea. Go to Pharaoh and say you're going to leave for three days. Now, what does that mean? I heard one commentator said they're going to leave for three days and just not come back. You know, they're just asking for three days off and they're going to continue going. I think the reason they only ask for three days is to say a simple request that shows the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. Because look at verse 19. I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even by a mighty hand. So they start out with the simplicity of just ask for three days. Three days to go into the wilderness worship. But God is saying, Pharaoh's heart is so hard on this that I know he's not even going to give you that simple request. Verse 20. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst. And after that, he will let you go. This is a kind of a mixed bag of things. This is punishment for Egypt mistreating God's people, but it's also judgment because it's the power of God, capital G, over their God's lowercase g. So it's two phase here. It is a punishment towards Egypt for what they've done to Israel for these last few hundred years, but it also shows the power of the true God over these false gods. Verse 21, And I will give these people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be when you go that you shall not go empty-handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. And you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so shall you plunder the Egyptians. If you're taking notes, verse 22, that's considered back pay. You know, hundreds of years of slavery, back pay. Now, before you think this sounds materialistic, guess what's going to happen here in just a few short chapters? When they plunder the Egyptians, they go to build the tabernacle. Guess what Moses is going to ask for? Bring me all your gold, articles of gold and silver. And that's what they do. Real quick, whatever you own, possessions, money-wise, it's not yours. It's the Lord's. So the Lord will bless you. He's just blessing you so that way you can bless other people. The Lord's blessing you. He made us ask for that back later on. So in a few chapters here, when we see Moses saying, Hey, bring me your articles of gold and silver to build the temple... They're really just saying, oh, being this stuff that wasn't even ours, that you already just gave us, how easy is that then to loan out your items? How easy is that to say, I'll give up my time? How easy is that for you to say, Lord, here's that offering, that tithe, because it's not even mine. It's yours. And I just want to pay you back for you taking care of me. So they get their back pay, verse 22, that the Lord uses later. Egypt gets judged. For keeping them in slavery, it proves big God G over little God G. God says, I've not forgotten you for these 400 years. I'm going to take care of you. You would think this would just be amen and let's go. Chapter 4 is where it starts. Chapter 4 is one of the most relatable chapters in the Bible. It's Moses, full of what ifs, but what if they do this? Well, suppose they do this. It's excuse after excuse after excuse. Ask yourself honestly, before we get into chapter 4, has the Lord laid something on your heart that you're just dragging your feet on? You, you know what He wants you to do. You know how He wants you to respond. But you're just dragging your feet on. 
Now, have an open heart as we go through this, because let's see what happens. Verse 1, Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, The Lord has not appeared to you. Hey, that, I mean, that kind of sounds legit, right? Here's this guy that just shows up out of nowhere and says, Hey, remember me? Forty years ago, I killed the Egyptian, hit him in the sand. I'm back now. God appeared to me in the wilderness. In fact, it was this bush that was on fire, but it really wasn't on fire. And he sent for me to come free all of you. Now, if that happened today, I'm assuming you would not give that person any attention. So Moses kind of has a legit question here. People are going to doubt me. Verse 2, so the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a rod. He said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. He reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Let's talk about this first miracle. What is the purpose of it? First off, if God ever asks a question, pay attention. God never asks a question in the Bible because he doesn't know the answer. So when he says, what is that in your hand, verse 2, it's not like the Lord is saying, hey, Moses, I can't see it. He wants Moses to realize, what are you holding? I'm just holding a rod. Okay, what's that rod represent? That rod represents who Moses is at this time. It's just a rod. It's something natural. It's something normal. He's a shepherd. It's just something. But God is saying, I'm going to take that normal, natural thing and turn it into something supernatural and miraculous. That's a picture of us. We are just normal, natural people that sometimes can't even tie our shoes. And God says, I want to use you supernaturally and miraculously in a movement of God. That rod is a picture of us letting go of who we were, nothing, and who we become, something in Christ. So we got to remember that. First off, that's that. Number two, what is the purpose of throwing it down? John Corson brought this point up one time, and I loved it. I'm just going to give him credit. He says it's a picture of you throwing down your past, your job, and saying, I have a higher calling right now. That that rod represents Moses as the shepherd. Well, Moses, you're no longer the shepherd. You're now the leader of Israel. Throw that staff down and see what God really has in store for you. I think that's a neat picture, too. I don't know how many times people have told me ideas they had for ministry, followed by 20 minutes of excuses of why they can't do it. You know what I'd really like to do? What's that? I really got this idea to have this ministry idea in my town, at work, or where I go. And before I could even say, that's great, let's pray about it. Yeah, but it's just really not going to work out. Boy, throw the rod down and see what happens. Sometimes you just got to trust. Now think about this. You throw the rod down, cast it on the ground, becomes a snake. Uh, Verse 4, I agree. I'd be a little scared of that myself too. But he says, pick it up by the tail. Have you ever picked up a snake by the tail? I picked up a snake by the tail. I got bit. It was a little garter snake. I mean, it was nothing major, but I squealed like a little girl. Um, You know, pick a snake up by the tail, it can flip its head around really easily and get you right on the hand. So when we catch snakes at home, when we catch them, you catch them right behind the neck. That's how you catch a snake. So when you catch a snake, you then hold it. Now, if I have gloves on, I'll hold it by the tail and just watch this thing go crazy. You don't pick a snake up by the tail. If you pick a snake up by the tail, that's showing you really don't know what you're doing. Because that's not how you're supposed to grab a snake. Point is this. This is an element of trust. Notice it doesn't say, verse 4, reach out your hand and take the snake. And Moses grabbed it by the tail. We would make a teaching point on Moses not being smart. 
The teaching point is verse 4. God purposely said, take it by the tail. That's the Lord saying, trust me. I don't know how many times out here in ministry where the Lord has said, James, go talk to that person. Go do that. And my response is, are you sure? That's taking a snake by the tail, Lord. That's really not smart. God says, trust me. So what do we see in this first point? First point, the rod. Something natural, something normal, becomes something supernatural, something miraculous. That's the Lord working in our lives. Number two, John Corson, throwing down your job, what you used to be, and now going into the ministry of the Lord. And that's not saying you leave your secular job, but you realize what is important in life is ministry. Number three, you see an element of trust. Grab the snake by the tail. That doesn't make sense. But that's what the Lord said to do. So that's the first point here, that God's trying to get Moses' attention. You would think that'd be enough, right? Verse 6, Furthermore, the Lord said to him, Now put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, Put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out of his bosom. And behold, it was restored like his other flesh. That's miraculous. See, this idea of leprosy in the Bible is constantly repeated because it could only be God. They gave all these rules and requirements in the Old Testament about how if you had leprosy and you got healed of the leprosy or it went away, how you would go to the priest and he would check you out and make sure you were fine. There was no way to get healed of leprosy. There was no way. There's no natural way for that to happen back during Bible times. None. And so for somebody to come to the priest and say, I'm healed of leprosy, the priest would have to say, are you serious? That can't happen. That's why in the New Testament, what does Jesus like to heal? Lepers. Because when the lepers would go to the priest and say, look at me, I'm healed, it would make the priest stop and say, that's not possible. How in the world did you get healed of leprosy? Well, I met this man called Jesus of Nazareth, and he healed me. And all of a sudden, now it's a witnessing opportunity. So this leprosy is really a picture of the Lord saying, Moses, these aren't little parlor tricks. This is God saying the first part, I'm going to take something normal and make it miraculous. Throwing down your job, this idea of trusting. Now this is, Moses, the only way you can do this is me. What do you think went through Moses' head when he pulled his hand out and it was leprous? I mean, did he think he was cursed? Is this the way he's going to be the rest of his life? No. It's the Lord saying, look at this, I can do this. Let's move on here real quick. Verse 8, then it will be if they did not believe you nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be if they did not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice that you shall take water from the river, pour it on the dry land. The water which you take from the river will become blood on that dry land. Okay, so let's just get this all straight. Burning bush, Moses sees it, turns to it, wants to talk to God. God wants to talk to him. And God says, Moses, I'm sending you back. Moses says, who's sending me? I am that I am. Sounds good. Moses, real quick follow-up question, verse 1, God. What happens if they don't listen to me? Hey, let's just knock off these miracles real quick. you got a staff that now becomes a snake. Um, you got a leprous hand that can now be healed. you got water that becomes blood. I think we've checked off the stuff, Moses. I think we're pretty good, right? Back to the king of excuses. Verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord. I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. I just want to share with you a little behind-the-scenes story of what happens out here sometimes with ministry. When I first started out here, there would be people that we thought were good for ministry. So we'd contact them. And we'd say, hey, 
we think you're good for ministry. They'd come in, and we'd say, hey, we think you're good for ministry. And so we would start talking about it. And so they would have excuse after excuse of why they couldn't do it. And so I thought it was my job to shoot down every excuse they had. So eventually they would stop and say, boy, James, you're right. This really looks like something I'm supposed to do. We have learned out here over the years that we, number one, most of the time, we'll wait for someone to come to us because we hope that the Lord is stirring their heart. That's why the last couple Sundays, we've been telling you about the importance of knowing your calling, knowing the vision God has given you for where you live, where you work, where you go to school, etc. So that way you can come and say, this is what the Lord laid on my heart. Now, sometimes there's times out here where the Lord really lays a person on our heart and we'll go to them and say, we really feel like you have a spot in this area. And now instead of shooting down excuses, what we do now is say, hey, go pray about it and come back to us and let us know what you think. Because what happens is, if somebody comes to me and they just have reason and reason and reason why they can't do it, I've reached a point out here now, it's like, okay, obviously it's not the right season. Because if I have to so push you, so convince you, then something's not clicking with you and the Lord. And see, and this is why with Moses right here, God knows he's called Moses. There's no doubt about that. What you're going to see here in a couple verses, God gets angry at Moses. Because what God doesn't like is when somebody who is called and somebody who is now equipped by the power of God still constantly says no. What God is basically saying is, you're saying I'm not good enough. The power behind you is not good enough. So Moses' excuse now is, I'm not eloquent. You know what the problem with that is? And yet we're running out of time, so we're not going to turn there, but just mark this verse down. In Acts 7.22, Acts 7.22, it says that Moses was powerful in his words. Guess when? When he lived in Egypt. This is a broken man. See, 40 years ago, he's killing Egyptians one by one, hiding them in the sand, and he's powerful in his words. 40 years later, the broken man that says, I can't speak. See, God wanted Moses to learn, you're right, you can't speak. I can only speak through you, so you need to know me. So look at this response. This, this response is so good, verse 11. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Do you realize how powerful that verse is? Verse 11. Who has made the man's mouth, or who has made the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? You know how on Thanksgiving we do this uh, open night of praise? So the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, no prayer requests, just praises. And generally what happens a lot of the times is people lift up praises. I'm going to praise God for my grandson that was born, my granddaughter that was born, my child that was born. And so we praise God for the, all these healthy births and everything like that. Years ago, there was a gal out here on that testimony night. She raised her hand and she said, I want to praise God for all the unhealthy births. Boy, that really hit me. Because a lot of times when we see somebody who is mute, deaf, or blind, okay, who screwed up here, Lord? What, what, what was the failure in the system? Look at verse 11 one time. Who has made man's mouth? Who has made man's mouth? Who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have I not I the Lord? Every single person is a beautiful and unique creation of God. Every single person. And verse 11 is such an important verse to make sure that we put the time and effort into seeing the beautifulness of all the creation of the Lord, not just based on what our standards are, but just based on the Lord. Such a powerful, important verse there. 
So basically, Moses is being told by God, listen, if you have a hard time speaking, it's because I know you have a hard time speaking. I'm God who created you. Verse 12, now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. If you're involved in any type of teaching ministry, any type of witnessing, any type of discipleship, verse 12 is one of those that's marked, underlined on your fridge. Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. It's not about your words, it's about the Lord's words. We've got to remember that. Now, we're going to stop here real quick. We're going to stop here real quick because it kind of changes here in verse 13. So, a little bit of background that we had there. Anybody got any quick questions, comments here? Ryan. Uh, two-parter. One, uh, it seems like back in Genesis, the serpent was a symbol of the devil. So, I'm just wondering, if, 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 why a serpent? And B, uh, back then, Moses fled from a serpent. You know, this just shows very human sizes. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, and I can't answer A. Um, I can't answer why that it became a serpent other than just that something that is kind of shocking. You know, I see if he dropped the rod and became a bunny, people would probably clap. But if the drop the rod and becomes a serpent, it kind of has that all factor, you know. And I don't know if that the, what that's what the Lord's doing. But going with part B about Moses being afraid, you know, I would say that I don't really have a fear of snakes. Um, but, you know, I remember years ago one time I was mowing, and there was a very large, very large snake out in the middle of the yard. And you have that brief moment of where you see that, and you're not expecting to see that. And there is a bit of, okay, that's a snake. That's a big snake. Once again, if I'm mowing and I see a bunny, I don't freak out usually. I try to keep my tears intact. So there is something here about this idea of a snake, and there's this idea of going back to the curse where if you look at it, you don't have to turn there real quick, but just going back to the curse where it talks about the snake. Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. You know, there is this curse on the snake, and I don't know if that's something that's just carried on in us, this idea of we see that snake as representing more than just a created thing. I don't know, but there's something where the Lord wanted to get his attention crossed, and so he used a snake to do it. It's a good question. Anybody else have anything here? Yeah, Kathy. Right, good question. God basically gave these miracles to Moses saying, now, if they won't believe you, so why would God do that? If the answer was if, my personal opinion is this, God did that to take away whatever excuse that Egypt would have. Because if God would just go right in right at the beginning and say, listen, I know Egypt's going to reject. I'm wasting you all. I'm just taking you all out. Israel's leaving. People could say, well, that's not fair. They never had an opportunity. By God saying, I'm going to do these plague after plague after plague, it takes away whatever excuse that Egypt had to be able to say, we didn't have a chance to repent. And this is a plan that God does throughout the entire Bible. Think back to Jonah going to Nineveh. Jonah went into Nineveh with the mindset of Nineveh's never going to repent. And guess what happened? Nineveh repented. One of the passages that people throw at me a lot when you talk to them about an angry God, there's that passage where God says, uh, and I can't remember the name of the town now. Oh, was it the Moabite? Amalekites. I think it was the Amalekites. Where God says, I'm going to go... And they announced that we're going to kill every man, woman, and child of the Amalekites. And so basically people say, well, that's not a God of love. Read the full story. Do you know where that happens? Saul goes to the town and announces to the town, hey, guess what? If you guys don't surrender, we're going to come in and kill every man, woman, and child. They had an opportunity to leave. They had an opportunity to say, nope. 
We now believe in Jehovah. We're switching sides here. So I think personally, why did God do all these plagues and miracles? Is to take away whatever excuse they would have. It's the same thing that happens in the, in the book of Revelation. You have the 144,000 Jews that are ministering to non-believers. And then you also have the angels that are flying over the world. These, this is to take away excuses. So that way no one can stand in front of God at the end and say, I never had an opportunity. There couldn't have been an Egyptian that said, it wasn't fair, I didn't have an opportunity. Nope, you had numerous plagues to accept or reject. So, good question there, too. Somebody else had a hand up? Yeah, Chris. It could have been. I think it showed the power, and that's a good point. It showed the power to Israel, too, because there's an ongoing theme throughout Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and even in Psalms, where God basically says, hey, further generations, remind the younger generations what you saw happen in Egypt. It was also an opportunity for God to show his power, once again, big G God, over the little G gods of Egypt, and also as an opportunity to show the Jews, this is the powerful God that you worship. Remember, for about 400 years, the Jews did not really realize how powerful their God was. It was a great opportunity for them to uh, be shown the power of their God that they serve. All right. Anybody else? Kathy. And it could be. You know, the leprosy always represents sin. One commentator I read, and, and it, it was a good point. I, you know, I don't know how far I would take it. He says that the hand going in, coming out leprous, shows Moses' heart as a man is sinful. And then God saying, put the hand back in and coming out clean, showing God wanting to take a sinful heart and make it right. You know, I don't know. You, you can go down this road there with a lot of different stuff right there. And it's the same thing with the blood and the water. Uh, I had one commentator said, water and blood, Jesus on the cross, float out the side. You know, you can maybe go that route there too. So, anybody else got anything? All right, let's finish this up because now we get to see what really happens. After all of this, Moses, I made your tongue, I made your mouth, I got miracles. Verse 13 is the key. He said, oh my Lord, Please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. Moses basically says, I don't want to do it. I mean, that's just what it comes out to. I don't want to do it. Verse 14, so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Very few times will you see in the Bible a passage about God getting angry at a servant. Now, you see God being angry at sin, God being angry at the Babylonians, God being angry as a parent towards the Jews, but very rarely do you see a passage where here is a servant of the Lord, an individual that God wants to use, that he gets angry at. And why does he get angry? Because verse 13, Moses just comes out and says, I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to. He, I mean, think about what this represents. God wasn't good enough for Moses. Okay, Moses, you're concerned about... The miracles. Okay, we got the rod, we got the hand, we got the blood. Okay, that's covered. Okay, you're concerned about your mouth. I said, I'll take care of that. Basically, what Moses is saying, send somebody else. I don't want to. And God is saying, I'm not good enough to do this. Moses, you don't trust me enough to be the power in your life. So just think about this for a second. If there's something the Lord has laid on your heart, and I told you this at the beginning of the message, if there's something the Lord has laid on your heart, and you're saying no to it, Why? God hasn't proven himself to be big enough, powerful enough yet to handle it. And I'm not even talking about a calling or a ministry. I'm just talking about something in life. I need to let that go. I need to spend more time in the Word. I need to do this. It may not be Lord is sending me to Africa. It just may be something in your day-in-day -day life. God has shown that he's big enough to do that. So Moses rejects it. 
God gets angry. He says, is not Aaron the Levite your brother? Aaron was three years older than Moses. I know that he can speak well, and look, he's also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people, and he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be it to him as God. And you shall take this rod in your hand, which you shall do the signs. So God basically says, Moses, I know you don't want to, you need a backup here? Fine, I'll send Aaron. And if you look, Aaron plays a very key role while they're going through the Exodus. But it's kind of interesting. After they get out of Egypt, Aaron is really not a good guy to be around. Aaron's the gold calf guy. Aaron has a hard time taking care of his kids. Aaron has some rebellion in him type of thing. God's original plan was, Moses, you and I can do this on our own. Now, there's been times out here at church where I felt like the Lord has brought somebody alongside of me, and, and I appreciate that. When, when the Bible sent out, excuse me, when Jesus sent out the disciples, he sent them out two by two. It's amazing having one more person, how much more effective it can be. I remember when we first hired Rich now, uh, about three years ago, maybe it's been four years ago, I lose track of time, and I remember one time Dawn asking me, I went and did a visit, and Rich came along with me, and she goes, why is Rich going along with you? She goes, you used to do those things by yourself. I said, I know. <laughs> It's nice having another person. It just it makes a ton of difference having that other person with you. So I see the blessing of Aaron being there. But why is God angry? Because Moses is really saying, and let me repeat this point again, Moses is saying, Lord, I don't trust you enough that I can do this on my own. So God in his grace and mercy says, you want Aaron, Aaron can go with you, he can help you type of thing. Because look at verse 28, jump ahead there a little bit, actually verse 27. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him on the mountain of God and kissed him. And so Moses told Aaron all the words the Lord had sent him. God brings these two together. But really the Lord just wanted to say to Moses, you've got to trust me. So I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what you brought in here tonight. But I do know this. The Lord says, trust me. Trust me that whatever you're facing, that you and I can get through this. Trust me that I have the power to do this. I have the words to give you. I have the strength to give you. Trust me. Quit making excuses and just walk in the Lord to do what the Lord has called you to do. And I tell you, you will be blessed. There's no doubt about that. So it's a little after 8. We need to close up here. Does anybody have any final questions, comments before we close up? All right. We'll finish up chapter 4 next week. And chapter 5, uh, we'll get into that as well. We start seeing Moses with the Pharaoh. Let's pray and we'll let you go here. Heavenly Father.